Whether you're running small meetups or large conferences, exhibitions, and concerts, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. The podcast is sponsored by our ticketing system, EventsFrame. Make the switch from Eventbrite today. It's got full integration with all the main payment gateways, so you can use Stripe, PayPal, Braintree, bank transfer, etc. And just announcing email integrations with all the main email marketing software systems, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, and Aweber. We've got thousands of live events uh, using EventsFrame, so give it a try, and we're sure it'll help you run amazing events and save money. So today's interview is with Mike Michelini. Mike is a really interesting guy. He lives in China, so it's someone like me who's fascinated by China. It was really great to talk to him, both what it's like to run uh, events in China and what it's like just to live in China. He's been there for, for a long time. He also talks about the big trade shows. If you buy any any kind of product manufactured in China, probably originated by a meeting at one of these big fairs. There's the Canton Fair and there's Global Sources. And they're huge, huge events where people come from across the world to source products. So Mike's got tons of great information about how the events industry works out there and how maybe you could run events in China. So on to the interview with Mike. Hi, welcome to the events podcast. Today, I'm talking with Mike Michelini. I hope I'm saying that your last name yeah. right. Great job. Great oh, job. Cool. Thanks a lot. Mike runs globalfromasia.com, and he's a super interesting guy. I've met Mike a few times. We're both in a membership group for entrepreneurs, for location-independent entrepreneurs called Dynamite Circle, which, which everyone should check out. I've mentioned that a few times. Uh, and Mike runs this business. Now, Mike's doing a lot of stuff. If you check out globalfromasia.com, it's almost overwhelming, all the things he's doing. He's, a, he's advising companies on doing business with China. He's running events. Uh, and generally, a really interesting guy. We're going to talk about living in Hong Kong, living in China and Asia, doing business in Asia, and obviously uh, running events uh, in Asia. So hi, Mike. How are you doing? Awesome. Awesome intro. Thanks, Dan. I'm, I feel great. Cool. Yeah, Mike, an interesting backstory. Like, I, I failed to meet Mike in China. I had this all planned, but I made the mistake of listening to Mike because <laughs> I, I was going to the one border crossing. There's two border crossings from Hong Kong to China where you can take the MTR, isn't it? And I was going to one and Mike's going, oh, let's meet at this other one. It's easier. And I'm like, okay, I'll meet at the other one. And then unfortunately, this border crossing, you cannot get a temporary visa. I didn't have time to go back to the other one. So we ended up not meeting, but I almost met Mike in, in Shenzhen yeah. last year. We we recently said hi. We met quickly in Bangkok. Exactly. But yeah, I know. I felt I felt like it was funny because I think you even said you read my blog post that was more that knew more than I knew. Yeah. Personally. No, yeah, no. Your blog <laughs> post told uh, me to go to other border crossing. Yeah. I'm like, well, I, Mike's the guy in Asia. <laughs> my, yeah. My mistake. I I should have confirmed it. Yeah. If he's on arrival, you yeah you can't get it at every border if he's on arrival. Yeah. So. It's funny that the, the, the Hong Kong metro, which is the MTR, goes all the way to to Shenzhen, which. Is right to the border which is pretty cool and then the, the Shenzhen the city literally starts like it's, it's crazy to see there's a the, the Hong Kong border and then the, it's kind of green on the Hong Kong side not much around you know some small and stuff and then on the on the China side it's like literally built up to the fence like it's like the city comes as it's almost like Tijuana uh, Tijuana Mexico to California is almost the same like the Tijuana side is built right up to the fence and then there's like nothing on the on the San Diego side you know I agree with that. Yeah. When you're thinking of Tijuana, I haven't been there for a long time, but <laughs> yes, yeah, totally true. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. The, the skyscrapers now on the Shenzhen, on the China side of the Hong Kong China border, it's, uh, they really got something to prove, I feel. <laughs> yeah, d- definitely. Well, Shenzhen's, I think it's a much bigger city than Hong Kong now, if I'm right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think it depends on what you, you know, how you measure it, but I think the population is bigger now in Shenzhen with, yep. uh, about, you know, eight, 18, 
18 million? I'm not, I mean, I think it's under 20 million. I think it's between 15 to 20 million amazing, population. So let's take a step back, Mike, like, because uh, you've got an interesting story. Tell us about how you first went to Hong Kong and how, and how the whole thing started for you, because that's, that's quite an interesting story, I think. Sure. So I think it started with selling online, you know, while I was working on Wall Street. Everybody liked to hear the story. I, you know, I was working on uh, Deutsche Bank and I was selling on eBay and my own website even before the big Amazon days. So what were you and selling? Then, like, what were you doing? What, what were you selling? Uh, bar bar supplies, cocktail okay. shakers and bottle openers, stuff like that. And uh, just learning the school of hard knocks. Like, I didn't have any courses or I didn't have any uh, any different programs and just making tons of mistakes, uh, basically. And how then, were of you course, getting your products? Were you just buying from Alibaba or how were you finding uh, your products in China? I started drop shipping. I, right. I, I, it was really funny. Is uh, I thought I could, I couldn't find a drop ship for bar products. There was only wholesalers, and I didn't want to take stock in my apartment in New York. So it was an amazing. I think it's. I think it was smart, but I, I, I sold stuff on eBay. I didn't have, and I didn't have a drop shipper for. I only had wholesalers. Right. And I second day. I said five to seven day delivery. And then I uh, second day aired an order to my apartment in New York and I second day aired it to the customer for like, I don't know, the first first few, I don't know how many orders, but I was, of course, losing money on shipping, right? But yeah. people thought I was crazy. But then I dropped half the products that didn't sell and I stocked, not a huge amount, but I started stocking stuff in our apartment. It was my roommate and my partner, business partner, my hometown friend. We just did a handshake and started doing e-commerce on the side. And of course, all roads lead to China when you're manufacturing at least in, in today's you know today's world yeah. so of course that led to alibaba and up late at night with skype trying to talk to factories and and uh you know the headaches and you know i think talk about that later with the events but i, I love community and networking so of course i meet a lot of other people in my shoes frustrated with china so basically i started helping others also buy from china too and myself and started uh I really like the international business side of uh, of business. You know the the kind of complexity and challenges of so so the moment so you're, you're still in New York at this time and you and you start helping people to, to how to find things from China just just from and you are you uh, still yeah, doing the, a job at this point? I I've stopped to do that. Uh, you know I didn't do that right. Basically that was almost the last year I was in New York. I was yep. doing that while I was doing my own e-commerce. But I did my own e-commerce from well I still did it when I moved to China. But I had started in '04 and then I moved to China in 07 so i quit my job in uh 2007 why did uh, you decide to move to hong kong and tell us about that sure so there was a gap it wasn't totally directly new york city to uh hong kong or or shenzhen it was san diego in the middle for about six months with my friend quitting your job you know especially when you get really good you're on track you know in corporate you know wall street i was doing really well and i was i don't know 26 or so 24 25 i can't remember but uh Basically, my friend had a spare apart, spare room in his apartment at, on Ocean Beach, San Diego, and yeah, uh, the, the rent was like four hundred bucks a month. You know, no contract, and I was selling online. I was making you know more more than that, so I'd pay that and my costs. So my lease was up in New York, and my uh, my bonus hit already in my job, and it was like February, January, February of two thousand seven. Yeah. So then San Diego, and I was sourcing. Sourcing online, I went to the Canton Fair, the Global Sources Show, all those that crazy chaos in uh, in the fall of '07. So, so let, I think- let, let, let's take a stop at that because that's people probably a lot of people don't know about this. Talk about what a what a Canton Fair and what a Global Source is, and and what are they like? Sure. So when you start to buy from or source from factories, you're probably gonna get your. E- I always recommend people to use a 
either a junk mail or a dedicated email for sourcing because you're going to be on their email list forever and there's no unsubscribe. So right. they'll start emailing you about their trade shows. They say, oh, we have a booth at the Canton Fair. We have a booth at the Global Sources or the Mega Show. There's a few others. But that usually happens twice a year in April, all well, spring and fall seasons, which is usually April or a little bit of May and then October. Maybe it's wrapping up in, no in November. And it's basically like a month-long, multiple phases, massive craziness can you hear that dan I'm no it's not a problem keep going it's cool <laughs> okay <laughs> a bit of, bit yeah, of background case, color to color to the interview so basically it's just a really crazy uh trade show season of people coming from around the world to visit basically like science fair or or a trade you know a trade show booth of events and the scale of these though is huge isn't it so it Global Sources massive. is in Hong Kong, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, Global Sources is in Hong Kong by the airport, Asia World Expo. There's yeah. also Mega Show and there's HKTDC and I think there's even some other ones and now. The other and one, then, but the two big ones, if I understand, are Global Sources and, and Canton Fair. Yeah, and Canton Fair is a little bit further deep into China and Guangzhou, but there's yeah. trains to get there. So you got to actually pass Shenzhen to get to Guangzhou. So, 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 so these events, like they last a month and basically it's like several football fields, if I understand correctly. Like It's like yeah. a huge, huge trade show and, and things change. So one week it'll be like consumer electronics or even more even more like defined like maybe telephones or something. Then it'll be like yeah. fridges and things. Oh, you, you tell me, but that's how I understand it. There's like three phases, I say, and phase one is usually electronics. All right. of them seem to follow. I think they all talk to each other or they, they don't totally overlap. Usually they have, you know, they'll have breaks between each phase, but they all usually follow like the same group of categories like electronics. The phase two is usually home and gift. And then the phase three is like uh, clothes and baby and kind of like miscellaneous stuff, the right. sports. Right. So that's everything, even like, you know, Sporting equipment and everything, clothes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's basically. I don't usually. That's usually the least popular phase three. It's, it's the end. But yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of like any. They kind of just throw random stuff that right. doesn't fit in the first two. So so usually so it's right, right, right. So so you went out to Hong Kong to go to this event, or what was the, what was the story? Yeah, there? I mean, I was. Uh, I felt honestly like I kind of like a. I'm a good market internet marketer, so I was you know. Getting found on Google, I was doing some paid ads on Google AdWords, and I was getting people. You know, I said I can help you buy from China, and I I was even helping people buy from China. I was buying from China myself, and I had never been to China. You know, yeah. so I, I felt like you know a little bit like uh you know a little bit weird, and I, it was relevant to my business to meet some of the people I was buying from. And I think I always recommend people if you're going to go out to see the factories, you might as well do it during the trade show season. So you know, I think um, I, I recommend if people want to come out and see the factories or meet people. That's even though it's going to be more expensive because probably flights and hotels are the most expensive because it's so busy. But I still think it's worth it because you can really meet a lot of factories at the same time as well as you can see them at the maybe after or before. But yeah, I visited factories. I came a little bit earlier. I saw some factories and uh, I went to multiple cities too. I didn't just go to Hong Kong and Shenzhen. I went to Shanghai, Beijing as well. I kind of booked this like multi-city trip where yeah. I came into Hong Kong and I flew out from Beijing. Right. Uh, back to the U.S. And I was just blown away, honestly. Like, I actually extended my flight. I guess I paid a fee. I can't remember. But I I started blogging, too, about this. Uh, even then, I could dig it up. But basically, I extended my trip by, like, an extra week. It was supposed to be four weeks. I stayed an extra week. And it was just so intense. Like, it was just so much happening, so much to learn, so so overwhelming. So I felt like I had to spend more time were here. You, were you, you, did you have people with you? You were, help, you were helping them, taking them along to this to this global sources and things? Or were you just there to check it out and just find I, out how the whole thing worked? I, I, I went on my own. Uh, yeah. I um, 
I maybe should have thought of that, but <laughs> I just kind of went on my own. I at that time it was still early for people to come to China for sourcing. I think a lot of Americans, especially. You know, I'm, I can make fun of Americans because I'm American myself, yeah, yeah. but, you know, they don't travel outside of the U.S. I think yeah. even some Chinese are like, I guess, bigger country mentality. But, you know, I think it's harder to get uh, Americans out of America. Um, so, so. And, yeah, I was adventurous. I was already kind of like quit. I had already been out of my own day job. So I was already kind of like there wasn't these communities like, you know, you mentioned Diamond Circle. There wasn't these groups. I didn't know anybody like me, honestly. I mean, yeah. uh, I didn't know anybody like like what I was doing then. So I didn't even think to go with somebody else. Did you, did you visit the, the factories that were manufacturing your products or were you just dead to just check out? Yeah, just I mean, uh, one was funny. You're gonna, it was one of, I met some of mine. I met uh, I met one that was doing some bottle openers for me. Right. At, they, I didn't see their factory, honestly. I met them at the trade show in Hong Kong. They were at the Hong Kong trade show. And uh, I have a funny picture of me with, I don't know. I could send you pictures if you want. It was me with like a T-shirt and like my badges on, and I'm hugging two sales girls, you know, on each side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then some. I was one of my sourcing clients was Tiara Crowns. Right. So I saw that factory in Shenzhen. Uh, that's what I started to notice. I didn't even understand what Shenzhen was as a city because uh, it's not that popular as like Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, but. Uh, it's always on F, always on my quotations. All these factory quotes were saying Shenzhen on it. It's interesting. I first went to Hong Kong in uh, mid nineties. I was still at college, and um, a friend of mine was from there, a really good friend. And he went to boarding school in Scotland, but he uh, he grew up in in Hong Kong, and his parents still live there. And it was still British, and it was right before the handover. And uh, it was amazing. Like I, it was still my favorite city in Asia. Like I, I went there, and that was kind of the end of. How I understand it, like Hong Kong, the manufacturing used to all be done in Hong Kong. I think that was kind of the end of that period. It was like the 70s and 80s. It was like a huge manufacturing center, which I'm amazed they built these factories in Hong Kong because it's such a small place, but they were kind of multi-story. And then at a certain point, it all kind of moved to China. And and, and really, I don't think there's much manufacturing even done in, in Hong Kong anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of those, because I did see my friends from college. When I came to Hong Kong, they helped me, local Hong Kong people. And they already had gotten their factory out, but they made so much on real estate. But all that factory area now is like getting to be really expensive real estate. I mean, you know, but yeah, all the factories seem to be definitely gone from Hong Kong, even Shenzhen. Now they're moving out they're oh, really? deeper. Is yeah, that, deeper. Okay. In. Interesting. Yeah, but it's definitely just the, the best, the smartest thing any of us should have done is bought real estate. You know, it's just. Well, uh, yeah, Hong Kong. Yeah, there's no doubt. Hong Kong's the, I think it's the most expensive real estate in the world now. I think it's. I think so. Yeah. So, so you did this trip and then you went back to the U.S., is that right? Yeah, I did go back. I did extend, but I spent about five weeks in China or Hong Kong and China for in October, a little bit November. And then I came back and, you know, um, I was like, what do I do? Do I stay or what? I was already actually, I had already moved out of my San Diego apartment because it was just a month to month. And uh, since I was going to be gone for over a month, I was like, why am I going to pay rent? So I, I moved out of San Diego. I came back to my parents in Florida for the holidays, like Thanksgiving and everything. And, and I'm um, just like, where do I go? You know, do I, I can kind of go, you know, anywhere I was selling online, I was doing some sourcing. So I just said, I should go back, you know, I should go back. Yeah. So I went back after the holiday. At the very end of 07. Cool. And did you live in Hong Kong, first of all? I should have, or maybe I even had opportunity with my friends there. They thought I was crazy to live in Shenzhen, but I just directly went. I flew, I always flew into Hong Kong Airport, but I went 
directly into Shenzhen with my suitcases into a hotel. And the funny story is I hired the girl I met at a trade show at a booth. She was a translator uh, at a, for a factory. Yeah. And she was helping me look for apartments when I landed. And we were just going around looking for apartments for a couple of weeks while I stayed in hotels in Shenzhen. Wow. And um, and do you need a visa? Like, could you just turn up and start living in China? Or is Because I know Shenzhen I mean, has some special status, doesn't it? You can visit without a visa for so many days and stuff. I always, I had a, I believe a six month business visa multi-entry. So I used the same visa I had gotten to visit for my uh, fall trip yep. for the trade shows. So I had already the same visa that was valid. So I just entered again with my business visa at the time for a six month multi-entry, 30 day stay. And I used that to enter that was one reason I picked to live in Shenzhen versus like Shanghai or, or inner China because I didn't have an employment visa. I, you know, I had to leave every 30 days. So I, by technically leaving, going into Hong Kong is leaving mainland China. Yeah, so that counts. Okay. So I, I kind of played that crossing the border for at least once a month or uh, for the for the requirement. But uh, for, yeah, for a couple of years, I was just doing the business visa 30 days a day is there a lot of people doing that still they're living in shenzhen and they just travel to hong kong every month to take it yeah there are but it's definitely getting harder it's everything seems to be getting harder like the the kind of gray or the kind of bootstrapped or the kind of hustle ways are getting crushed i mean of course they're not really it's not really the lot of the right way but Sure. It's uh, it still works. Oh, it's, it's good to yeah. You but always got to look for the gray areas, and especially in the beginning. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I just definitely moved to Shenzhen. I, I I was getting trying to get convinced by my friends from college, uh, Tom and Cyril, just put names on them. But they were trying to say, hey, you know, it's a little bit dangerous there. It's a little bit not safe. You know, you, you can stay with us. We can give you a room. Don't worry about it. You can stay with us at Hong Kong. And I'm just like, oh, I'm going to Shenzhen. Like that's interesting, you know, because so many people I know in China just really want to live in Hong Kong, you know, like or, or live somewhere. Or, you know, I've got friends. I've got a really good friend of mine who lives in Taiwan, and he works in China, but he doesn't want to live in China. He just because he loves Taiwan, it's more chilled. He lives in Taiwan and commutes out Monday, comes back on Thursday, you know, to, to mainland China. It, there's a lot of people like that. I think China is just like it, it's a hard place to live, isn't it? I think you know once you get yeah. used to it, it's great, and it's if you've got a sense of adventure, it's amazing. But it's it's not like an easy place. Like, I mean, Hong Kong is like the easiest city in the world to live in. It's got everything. You know, it's got every type of food, true. every type of bar, every type of whatever, you know, anything. It's just completely interesting Western and, and European place and, and Asian. I agree. I mean, after a few years, I was getting a little bit tired of it. But um, but uh, I would say it's true. It's, it's, I mean, Shenzhen, I mean, the, the, big, the first year cities in China are getting to be equal, getting up there like Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, really? you know. You can find uh, expat areas that would be similar to Hong Kong. I guess the biggest annoyance of expats is the internet in China is totally blocked. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the thing I hear all the time. You get it hard getting on Facebook, hard getting on Google, anything like that. You know, using Gmail even is difficult. Exactly. So that's that's the biggest difference. And of course, there's a scare of the the health um, of food and. Uh, Certain the, you pollu know, the pollution is the thing that everyone, everyone gets together. Mm -hmm. They say, I don't know how true this is, but people say you lose years of your life living in Beijing because of how bad. The yeah, I met my wife there, and I didn't want to. She was trying to convince me to stay there, but uh, but yeah, I don't that place. I mean, that's one of the good things about, or at least used to be about Shenzhen is it's a greener city compared yeah. to other major cities of of China. Great. 
So to tell us about your business, the business you built, you got to Shenzhen and tell us about the business you started building and then we'll get onto the, sure. we'll get onto the events you, you run as well. Sure. So at that time I first came, I was selling the bar supplies online with my, my roommate and one of my best friends growing up since fourth grade, fourth, four-year-old nursery school, I think three-year-old nursery school. Wow. So Andrew and you know, he, you know, I was already kind of complicating my life with two businesses at the same time, but uh, yeah, it was selling online on uh, on eBay website, a little bit of Amazon. This is very early, like yeah, I was in China, and more like 08, I guess officially. And then basically, I was setting up operations out of my home office. I got a dual office, so it was like a working and uh, living location. And so, so, so let's just look at it. So it was like an office building where people lived as well or an apartment building where people worked, whatever. So was was everyone yeah. kind of the same? Like, was it everyone there like the was, same? There was some that used it only for living and some that used it for working and living. Right. And some that – and the funny story is, uh, you know, I registered a local company. I was really afraid to kind of uh, – we can talk about differences of Hong Kong companies and Chinese companies. But basically, everything is different. So if you – Basically, uh, I was really afraid of uh, getting in trouble with the government by having staff in, a, in an apartment, and I registered a company, and then they came to inspect the address during the registration process, and they says you can't – foreigners can't live and work in the same office. So I, oh, really? I, I stopped getting nervous. That's a funny picture I have of – I paid basically one of these uh, – they call them nongmingong in Chinese. Basically, it means like a farmer that comes to the city to earn a better income yeah. or life. And I paid him to just disassemble my bed, put it on one of his bike carts and take it to a storage. And then I called or had my assistant help call the government back and then they visited. They saw the bed was gone. They checked it off. Then I called the <laughs> farmer guy and he brought it back and put it back together within like a two or three day uh, <laughs> time frame. But I was already kind of getting tired of the, the that stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean that was – that was fun. I mean Chinese especially then were just still not many foreigners in Shenzhen. It was still kind of like the the head nod to other foreigners you saw on the streets. Yeah, I got welcomed into other neighbors' houses to eat dinner with them. Has that, has yeah, that changed was, a lot now? Is, is, is it now much more foreigners living in Shenzhen? Yeah, I mean, this city here is it's not weird to see a foreigner anymore in Shenzhen. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not like looking at us like differently anymore. Cool. So you, you set up your home office and what, what was your business in? Interesting, you had a, China, uh, a Chinese company as well. Source sourcing of sourcing for my own sourcing for myself, but as a separate, you know, as, as a as a company, as a sourcing company, and then also sourcing. A lot of them were for the bar products industry, but it's, I also had to like the I, you know, and the company is called Shadstone, which is still I'm up, not doing sourcing, but it was basically B two B consulting for Asia, right. and uh, so I, you know, I would invoice my own bar products company for 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 the product and the, my fee, and I would invoice other bar supplies that wanted. Like I mentioned earlier, they were frustrated. I was, I, you're gonna laugh, but I was using MySpace be- oh, wow. for network for networking with other other bar supply sellers. Um, wow. But I was helping like beer pong tables and inflatable beer pong, and I was helping like you know like LED ice cubes and martini plastic martini glasses with the flashing LEDs and wow. beer towers and yeah for our own as well as. Uh, as well as our people in the industry. And of course, I also had Google ads for just like the tiara crowns. And it was really all kinds of random stuff, which is actually something I don't recommend people to do. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But you started, I guess you started building like a community. You, you were helping people out and you were charging them a fee to source products for them, I guess. That was how you grew the yep. business. Yep. That's how I 
that's how I got it started. And and yeah, I mean, it's all through a lot of it is referrals and and yeah, networking and introductions and connecting. And actually, I noticed a lot of it came from my personal blog, which is mikesblog.com. And I was like, people, it was more effective than my uh, my company website for sourcing because people would see me in China to see my pictures with the fish head soup and and the bed being moved out of my home office on the bike. And they would feel more interested to apply to work with me or you know to source with me through my personal blog. Interesting. Is, I'm just, just checking it out. So have you never thought about combining that with your business one or have you, do you figure you've got too much, too much information is, already? It is a topic of I've had. Um, I just feel the main difference is I kind of feel like this is more of a story and I, I have more of my family stuff on it recently. Sure, you sure. heard my kids, you know, I have big dreams for Global From Asia if it ever gets partners or, or maybe, you know, raises money or, or changes, you know, pivots. That's, Easier for me to I, – I feel like I could separate that more than my, my Mike's blog. Sure. Um, so, so, so you started Advisor. How did that become global from Asia then? I and mean, let's get into how you started running events to to, sure. to, to grow this business or to support the community. Sure. So I basically realized I, I like internet marketing, content creation, and community building, connecting people that I actually didn't enjoy the sourcing. I don't actually do it anymore. I, I prefer to connect people to three or four or five friends that do sourcing rather – I don't just do one because, you know, it's dangerous to make one intro, but I make a few intros to people. But, you know, I realized that my strength is in, the, like you say, all this content and community and creating, connecting people. So it was, there's kind of a gap, but to fast forward through the sourcing and, and, uh, and the e-commerce, I, I realized I like to help people through online content that, you know, people can read blogs from 10 years ago and it's, they can still benefit from it. So I, it started really sure. with the podcast. The Global Formation started as a podcast, just like like here. And uh, people would just, yeah, like, you know, I know this show is new too. And my show was when it's first new. It really, people seem to really enjoy the first few because I would kind of learn and and uh, and connect people. And, and none of this sure. content was ever put online. Like nobody had ever heard about Hong Kong companies and Chinese sourcing. And, and it was kind of really early in 2013. And so started as a podcast and then of course led to text blogs, the Hong Kong border blog, which is like a massive, almost should be a book. Um, yeah. But uh, the events took a couple more years, but it started similar to people always wanted to meet me for coffee when they're visiting. And a lot of people would be visiting during the Canton fairs. Like I we mentioned yeah. earlier. So the event started to be built around the Canton Fair or the trade show season as a way, hey, you're in town anyway. I know you're probably really busy, but hey, th let's throw on a top of it another another event. So, and what, was, um, what was the idea? Was that to give people like a guide to what to do at the Canton Fair, how to, how to approach it, or just to do some networking and, and learn best practices? Think, what, what? Um, what we saw was there wasn't there were some meetups maybe, but especially – well, we started in 2016. It wasn't too much formal education. It was more like go to the show and meet people, meet factories. Maybe there's a bar meetup, but uh, there wasn't really any seminar, workshops, learning, networking. Um, right. And like a full day kind of – we started as a one day. Now we do like two days as a, a multi-day event. Right. So, so you were just basically just going to the show and showing people around as when you started it. No, it's just we directly jumped into the event actually. Oh, okay. And, okay. I mean, it started maybe with meeting people and meeting people at the fair, or maybe meeting people for a coffee or beers or a couple people at a time. It was 2015. 
my, my wife, I always try to credit her. She's She's got the business brains because she's like, Mike, you have all these people meeting you and, and you're so busy. Why don't you just make an event out of it? So, yeah. uh, we, of course, it takes a, a lot, as, as listeners know and you know, for an event. So we started kind of inviting – I think first uh, first is just getting – especially having multiple speakers. First, we just – Actually, it was great with the podcast. We went to our podcast, previous podcast. So, guests, so you you had an audience for your podcast, basically to start that. That, that yeah. was kind of the start of it. And you, so so you went to your podcast guests. You were saying, you know, we invited them to be speakers. Basically, great. I just went down and I said, hey, a lot of them were happy to be on the show, and people like what they said. And so I was like, hey, it'd be great if you could come out and share some more and connect with people in the community and they're like yeah i'd love to come so and this is this became the cross-border summit what, what yep yeah and, and what what did you do like how um how did you start marketing this event and, and what did you do for location as well just in terms of the logistics in terms of getting started sure sure so for marketing you know uh, of course like we've mentioned i had the podcast which helped a lot and uh, also had the content we made a full web page as early as possible email list was already being built up. Yep. So yeah, I mean, we use those. We also also had the local community, you know, of people that enjoyed. I mean, I'd also been in China many years before that in Shenzhen and Hong Kong already. So, you know, a lot of it, especially I think everybody knows the first event you do, you're going to have to hustle like everything, yeah, inviting. Definitely. You just got to invite Give everybody. away a lot of free places. Free, as yeah, well. free spots, inviting, discounts, early birds, like just just uh, as much as it takes and for the venue is also just a community like Gary he runs a local website uh, called Sheko Daily it's a dis- it's very niche it's a one district of Shenzhen called Sheko and he he's kind of like the king of this uh, expat area and he uh, what's the website had- Sheko Daily yeah s h e k o u daily.com so it started as a uh, daily deals site and uh, expats English language website. So I was, of course, consulting, you know, not consulting, well, I mean, as a friend, you know, just talking yeah, about yeah. it, getting involved. And he's like, oh, I have a nice venue that I've been thinking would be great for events. And uh, he took me there and, uh, you know, he helped. He's been so helpful. I mean, I guess. Well, what what type of venue was it? Just curious. Was it a hotel? It was or, a. Uh, it was a rooftop. It was a rooftop. It was basic. We actually still use it for a lot of our events. We've used it multiple times. It's, it's, um, it's called Net Valley. It's basically a uh, a clubhouse for IT Park. So it's in an IT Park of Shenzhen. Yeah. And they have this like rooftop area that has like a restaurant and it has like training rooms and it's uh, got an open wood uh, wood floor wood plank like outdoor area. So That's I think cool. I imagine it was a lot cheaper than getting a hotel as well. Yeah, I mean hotels are crazy. Yeah. Well, that's what um, I tell people. Like the thing about when you run your especially your first events, and even even ongoing, you know, everyone starts to look at, looking at hotels and a hotel typically. They have a delegate day rate, you know, how much per person per day for the venue and food and stuff. And it's typically $50 a day as a, as a kind of base level, most places in the world, you know. And it can go up from there, obviously. So two-day event, you're going to spend $100 straight away for every person. But you can find co-working spaces, schools, you know, social clubs, all kinds of places where you can get much cheaper deals or even free deals, you know, in terms of you can promote their, their venue as well. Exactly. So it's all about hustling. So I'll... I'll be, I'll be, I actually got it the last few times we've had to pay them, but the first time we got it sponsored, it's true. Uh, yep. 
we put their logo on the events. We let them take some of their members and their uh, IT park to come. We told them, hey, we're bringing a lot of international business experts here. It's going to be good for your space. We're going to like look to use this multiple years. So how, um, how did it go the first year? You had, obviously had your blog that was getting people. You had some connections. You knew a lot of people locally, people sourcing. How many people did you get to come to your first event? And what, what were you charging? What was your basic ticket price? Sure. So we did, uh, I think even the first year, we did break it up into two levels of tickets, which I, I recommend. Uh, we had general entry at like around 120. Of course, there's early birds and stuff, yeah. but I think it was 125 retail yeah. US. And uh, it was a one day event with uh, with lunch. The VIP, I think, was like 300 US with a special VIP dinner the night before with uh, speakers and special guests. That's a good idea. So, People like to hang out with the speakers, you know, so the VIP dinner. Yeah, is, uh, it cool. really was cool. It, and you you kind of want to thank the speakers anyway. You kind of got to thank them for coming and get them together, get them special access. So then you basically sell that to VIP guests that will really want to spend extra money. Definitely. I I also, it's good to do that the night before. I, I think the day, like the... The party after your event, I think it's good to get everyone together, the speakers. People want to meet the speakers, you know, and all the attendees. Agree. But I think the night before, it's great to do a speaker's dinner. And, and especially if you can sell access to that, that's, that's a great way to make money. It was great. I mean, and also the thing I like about the night before is you can kind of prep the speakers of what to expect and show it. We, we've been doing it at least on-site. We've actually done them on-site. There's the restaurant there, so we can actually walk them Maybe not everybody at the same time, but throughout the night, you can take a group and say, this is where you'll speak. This is how the setup's going to be. This is how it'll work. So they're more comfortable and uh, they get a more, they can sleep on it and prepare, you know, just understand the environment more. Yeah, so yeah, sure. the night before helps a lot. You also answer questions and, uh, and prepare them for, for everything. And this was, so you ran this event right before the, um, the Canton Fair so that people could go to it afterwards or was it after the Canton Fair? Honestly, I, s I still stick it in the middle. So right. I stuck it in the middle. Uh, it was, I think, between – I didn't want to do it in the right in the middle, but it's, there's always going to be some kind of a trade show happening in April. I think the first date was April – it was Saturday, April 16, 2016, uh, if I remember correctly. But it was a Saturday and it was right – of course, you're going to have to overlap. It's impossible not to, but sure. we tried to kind of go where we thought people would – Sometimes what people do is they they finish say the Hong Kong global sources and then they go to Guangzhou after. So we kind of did it where we had people we tried to follow the the path where people are going into China anyway and stop here and then go to Canton. Great. And and how many people came to your first event? About one twenty five plus plus speakers good. and yeah, it was it's so nerve wracking and of course everybody's like at the trade show like some of my friends had booths and they're like telling people and getting people to buy tickets and people like podcast listeners are like, Oh Mike, I, I bought it the day before. It's still actually, I don't know. That's the hardest thing. I'm sure you talk about this with your, in your show is getting people to confirm early. is just yeah. such a fight. So many people do last, last minute and you, and you don't want to, you don't want to lose those attendees. So, you know, obviously if you, if you can sell out early, great. But I mean, typically with an event, you're, you're taking registrations right up until the end. Yeah. So, there was one, we have had to sell out, but normally it's not until a few days before. 
But I also don't want to be too tricky and say, you know, you could be tricky and say you're sold out and then people contact you and you say, oh, I got a spot. I, I, don't, I don't like that approach. People do that and say, contact us to be put on the wait list. And you know, they've got spaces. Yeah. They're just trying to create a kind of false guess. Yeah, it's usually obvious I, when people do that. Yeah. So I, I'm afraid to do that. It's, uh, and, and how has this event grown? How many people, you made it a two day event. When did that happen? I'm curious. And, and how many the people? Second year, second year, 2000, 2017, we went into two day and uh it got up well i'll be honest actually people we don't want to get so huge to be honest uh yeah, sometimes it's just great to increase the price and keep i mean keep the numbers the same yeah so we increased the price so we've done it three aprils in a row for the summit we um have grown it every year but we have more on the price and the value rather than on the quantity because it's and a lot of event organizers I know in China, are, especially in China, it's all about numbers. Like we're talking about the population of China and even sponsors are like, we do have sponsors and they want numbers. But I, I, I try to go over quality over quantity. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we moved up to about 200 or so. The venues, we've used the same venue actually for all the years, that rooftop. Right. We just We even looked at hotels, but they're all like indoor, no window. We like the rooftop and people can go inside for the seminar or go outside for the – networking and is it uh, close to the is it close to the canton fair or, or, or far away that's one of the issues it's about an hour or hour and a half maybe from the canton fair right okay which is tricky so yeah i guess optimal you would be something pretty right next to it well although i guess people if they're coming to your event for two days they're not going to be going to the canton fair those days anyway you know it, what we've noticed is there's people coming for the event by itself um Maybe not from the U.S. Just, I mean, well, of course, they, the fairs are free anyway, so they might as well go. But we've noticed some people from within Asia coming in. Just they don't care about the shows. They already have their suppliers or they have their sources. They don't want to find. They come for the event uh, multiple years. Sure. Like Singapore, Taiwan, maybe Shanghai, Beijing, uh, others, you know, Thailand, stuff like that. So like, and what about your cost? Have you did you manage to? Do you manage to get speakers for free? Are they are they kind of interested to come anyway? They're going to the Canton Fair and they'll speak for free, or do you have to end up paying paying your speakers and paying expenses? It's definitely tricky. Uh, I mean, I think it's case by case is the yeah. fair way to say sure, it. Sure. I mean, some people almost we have to almost make them sponsor to to speak. I don't know if that's a. I you know some yeah. people are like you know they they definitely get business from it. Sure. And then there's some that are like. You know, like that's where the community comes into play. You know, they, they've been on the show. They've gotten some maybe hopefully customers or some benefit from the community already. Sure. And, of course, some, some are just so popular and they do help drive tickets and, and drive the business. So and they maybe don't really have as much to gain from speaking from their for their own business. So there's some have been, you know, have to be compensated. But uh, we've been able to keep it – play the community card as much as possible to get people that want to just give back to, to a community and, and allow us to you know, su- support the business and uh, support the community. Yeah, so tell us about your community. You started a membership community as well. Is that right? Yeah, I'll be honest. It's been trickier uh, for us to get that momentum. But yeah, we do have some super fans that are involved. We call it GFA VIP. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, special access and discounts across all that stuff you see on the website was from events to, you know, even services and discounts we have within our corporate partners. And 
and a lot of training. So I kind of give every all access to the different private training. I've got a few books and video courses and other and forum behind the scenes. And we have private calls at least once a month with me and uh, our community managers. So, you know, it's more about less is more. So um, yeah. what we're noticing is people there's so much free information online. It's all about more. It's about the access to the people. So, yeah, I mean, I think people that are in are really more about connecting with others and in, in the community. Great. So, so you run this cross border summit, uh, we've been talking about whatever, I see you did more events. What, what other events did you run or do you run apart from that one? This actually one, we don't make too much money from the events, but we, it has kind of helped support. And it's also helped drive the brand and awareness about what we do. So, yeah. And my wife's kind of my partner, or my Chinese partner, and she's really she's the one who inspired me to start the events in the first place. She's done lots of events. She should be on the show too, maybe. Yeah, it's a, we missed the whole part of the story where you met your wife, obviously, in, in China. Yeah, it's fine, but uh, uh, but she's the one who inspired me to start these events in the first place. But the thing about events is people want more, and yeah. I think of organizing events. I think if we just do it for the money, we're probably crazy. I didn't want to dilute the brand or didn't want to dilute the value or the effectiveness. I just didn't – I know I, we've had the trade shows twice a year and some other meetups and events do do theirs twice a year following the April or the May, you know, the spring and the fall. But we so, didn't want to do that. So we just did it once a year yeah. and we've started to make these other micro, these smaller brand events, which I could share about. Or you had a question? Yeah, yes. Yeah. No, no. I was, I was going to ask about the Canton Fair. So – does it work like it happens twice a year? Do we just repeat the whole thing twice a year, or is it, is it a different different thing it's, in the spring to the fall? Basically, the exact same. I I know people might ask which one should I go to. I mean, I I, I like spring just in general. Honestly, I just pick crossbar summit April just because I like the spring season more than the fall season. Yeah. Just just in general, nothing to do with the fair. They're the exact same. They're just huge football fields, like you said, of of booths of factories. So. You might go to just meet all your factories, you know, or find new product ideas. They just keep repeating them. I mean, there's hundred. I think it's been like over a hundred of them over fifty years or something That's like amazing. this twice. Yeah. So, do a lot of foreigners, or do the majority of foreigners just go to the, the Canton Fair or Global Sources? They never visit the factory. That's as far as they get is, is meeting there. The, or, or do most of them go to the factory? Would you say and actually meet the suppliers there? I. I'd say the majority, from my rough experience, just go to the fairs. Yeah. Because a lot of times the factories are flying in from inner smaller cities. Like I mentioned, they're not in these metropolitan areas. So maybe they'll do a handful of factories, but they'll have to arrange that in advance. It's probably not going to happen at the fair. If you meet them, they're not going to like just take you to a factory. Yeah, You'd yeah. have to arrange that in advance. So. Um, usually it'd be like an hour, another hour or two, three hours by car if they're in that re- South China region. But a lot of them are up in like the Ning- Zhejiang province or Ningbo, which is an airplane flight away. So you probably won't do that. I mean, like I said, the first time I came in uh, 2007, I I flew to Shanghai. I went to Ningbo. I went to see the factories. I mean, that was over a month. That was, that was five weeks here. So if uh, it depends on your schedule um, and your goals. I mean, I would only recommend really visiting a factories if you're – really serious about buying from them yeah you might get some free dinner and some they call it baijiu you know we can talk about the alcohol it's kind of calm it's kind of calmed down i've I've uh, heard it i've heard some crazy stories about how the factories you know take you out and want to show you a great time just to get your business or get you to order more or get to know you more yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, 
So tell us about, so, so obviously Cross-Border Summit is a big event, and, and just briefly, you run some more workshops, and you started running smaller workshops. Just Was that to have like more focus on certain areas or just different times of the year? So I, I don't know. I like to be honest. I'm still, ex, still experimenting. No, no, that's cool. You know, like definitely, yeah the frequency and the format and the pricing. And so like, you know, we've done these really in-depth, what we did is actually even in the summit we've done last couple of years is we do mastermind bonus add-ons. We've done workshop add-ons after. So we do like a pre-mastermind with the VIP now and yeah, a dinner. That's a great way also, to do it. T- tack it onto the same event. And then you yeah. can focus all your energy onto one week to have all the Yeah. Stuff. And then we've done workshops after. I even felt really uncomfortable, but I did it, I think in 2017 during the work, during the event. And we had the speakers speak for like 30 minutes and then say, if you like more of this, I have a three-hour workshop this afternoon at two o'clock for an additional $400. Contact oh, really? Me. I've never heard of that. You were selling, you were selling in. Did did you, you were selling during the event, basically. I felt really weird, but nobody actually complained in it, and it and uh, and uh, and people signed up, and uh, we've oh. done it. But I kind of felt weird in 2018. I did it after the event. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, that's a uh, more logical place to do it before or after. You know, after 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 I guess is good if if you if you want any attendees to to listen to a speaker and then want to learn more, then I guess it's it's good to do it good to do it after. Yeah, so we did it after, but then some people say it's so exhausting. It's been like three, you know, if they did a mastermind, two days full event, and then a the fourth day for the workshop, they're like brain dead, you know. Yeah, like, sure. uh, but um, we um, we did do a separate event. I think you mentioned it in a show earlier, but cross border matchmaker. So it's more yeah. about the networking and connecting. We just finished one as of recording, like literally, like. A week ago, a week ago this time was the dinner the night before. It was a VIP so dinner. What, what, tell us about a cross-border matchmaker. How many people and what was the format for that event? So we're getting better. Was, there was another 100. It was the same size as our first summit, which was like around 120. Um, but it was less about speaking and learning and more about matchmaking, not about dating, although there has been some relation, personal right. relationships or more about business deals, especially because we have this unique ability or unique community of Chinese and Asia business people with like international expat business people, um, still within English language as much as we can. But uh, it's more about speed dating. So I set up uh, – it was the second year we did it, but this year was – we kind of get trapped into more speakers. So the first time we did it was last October 2017, but it got to be way too much speaking content and it was only just a few roundtables and connecting. Yeah. This year I really insisted because it seems like the trend is the speakers want to speak. They don't want – they didn't seem to want to host or didn't know what the heck a roundtable was we called it. So this time it was really – the first uh, hour, hour and a half of the morning, it was a one-day event, was just around speed dating. So we had one side of the table not move and the other side of the table moved and we did 10 minutes on a clock and we had people uh, – and we put keywords on the table on the person that wasn't moving yeah. to show what they were about. And then we gave like a minute for people to find another table. It was kind of like musical chairs and then start and then people would just try to – and it was people loved it. People loved it. I was a little bit nervous because the language and uh, people loved it. And then we did have the speakers. We had about four speakers in the morning from like ten to twelve, you know, or maybe ten thirty. I think it was like nine, nine ish to about ten thirty was the speed dating. And then we did almost ten forty five. I think ten fifty. We started speaking until about lunch twelve twelve ish was speaking, lunch break. No lunch included this time unless you're a VIP. 
uh, were simplifying, and right. uh, then we had the afternoon was pure round tables. How did tables. that go down? Not having lunch, did you get did you get complaints about that? I was nervous, but uh, the people that noticed were the returning guests. The people that weren't returning uh, didn't notice, and then they just grabbed a group of people, and they went. They just grabbed a group of people they wanted to talk with, and went down to the. Because uh, actually, I know other people that do events in China or right? do events and. They say they're so happy that they, they can't believe I do food because it's so hard. And people come, you know how it is. People complain about the food. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Actually, the VIP dinner, one of our special guests got f- horrible food poisoning. He said it was on a toilet all night and couldn't come the next day. And he blamed our VIP dinner, but nobody else got sick. Yeah. I don't understand. Well, also, when you do food, you've got to have gluten free, vegetarian, vegan. You've got to do a whole range now. Yeah, so I felt good. I felt I felt a little bit weird, you know. I was kind of hosting, so I said at you know about twelve, I says, "Okay, lunch break. You can go get a group of people and go downstairs. If you're a VIP ticket, you know, come find us. We'll get you to your dinner. As long as you've got like a, a shopping center or something nearby with a food court or something where there's options yeah. to eat close. Yeah, there's definitely was enough places. So they they were all nobody. There were some questions, but uh, but uh, we did a lower price too. So yeah, how much did you charge for the cross border matchmaker? So we had a, you know, again, like I mentioned, the VIPs. So we, but we did uh, about another 100 US, 120, I think, oh, okay. was was the retail. Actually, we almost kind of did the same as the summit the first year, and we did 300 for the VIP. The VIP, um, but you know, the match, the cross border summit this past uh, April was uh, 500 dollars and uh, 900 dollars. Great! So, wow, so you really increased uh, the core event. That's great. But, Nine. and people are really happy with it because we've also budgeted more for speakers and we've added much more content in multiple days. I mean, it's multiple days. The first year was only one day, 2016. I, I, think, I think that's a great model for a lot of event producers. Rather than looking just to increase your numbers every year, it's just increase your, the price. Keep the same number of attendees and, 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 and make it more expensive. It's, it's a good option yep. to look at. It doesn't work for everyone, but, it, but it's, it's a great way to do it. Yeah. And another thing about the matchmaker, it came from the summit because one thing I heard from an event organizer was, uh, you know, don't just slam people with PowerPoints all day, but try to have some kind of way where they can walk away with like five valuable business cards at the end. And I think they'll be happy Uh, because, I mean, anybody can, you know, of course, there could be the secret content, but most people, most information you can find on online, you know, as much as you want to say it's not. I mean, you know, I think really people are going to learn, but also to connect with the people. So we started adding all the round tables at the yeah. end of the events where we'd have the speakers host a table and we couldn't get people to leave the venue. I had to actually pay extra to, a, we did do some at events at hotels. I had to pay extra hour. Like it was a lot of money because we just couldn't get people to leave the room. That's a good like, sign. With That's the round tables. Because what we do is we just have different tables with the speakers and you can sit there and ask them questions and, and nobody wanted to leave. It was like, um, I turned the lights off. I couldn't get people to leave the freaking room. <laughs> That's like, funny. So, yeah, we've got to finish up soon. Obviously, you're busy as well. Tell us about Colombia. You're doing an event in Medellin, I think. That looks really interesting because that's a place I want to visit. So I'm yeah. curious, how did that come about? And I guess it hasn't it's, happened yet as of the recording of this podcast. It's, it's uh, March. Yeah, I'm not sure when it's going to go online, but March 2019. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be three days. Well, two-day main event, one-day mastermind. Um, but it's te- it's close to Medellin, but technically it's in Cartagena. Yeah. So it's... Uh, that came to be from our community. Esteban is our our, our event partner. He's uh, he's a big super fan of the podcast and uh, and everything we do. And he 
He heard great things at Cross Border Summit 2017 from his business partner, also from South America, uh, Santiago. And Santiago gave him really great feedback in 2017. And then enough to get him to sponsor and come and speak and bring a group of people to 2018s in Shenzhen. And he was so happy at the event of 2018. Even before we did it, we were talking about doing something in South America. But uh, and what's, he, what's the purpose of this event? South Americans who want to source from China, or what's the? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a very well we cross border summit between Asia and, and South America, but it'll be both ways. So even at both of these, we've always tried to have both ways. Of course, we're a little bit heavier on the Amazon FBA and the international on the standard, you know, exporting from China. But we also, even in China events, we had events about how to set up companies in China, sell into China. So it'll be similar. We're going to have two tracks. Actually, we've had two tracks as well in the uh, in the summits. So we say go both ways. So it'll be go both ways if you want to learn how to sell into China or if yep. you want to learn how to sell into South America. And, wow. of course, we're we're probably going to still stick in. We have some pretty famous speakers we're, we're budgeting to bring in uh, that are famous in Amazon. Uh, we already got some headline speakers with big lists that we've uh, put in our budget to come. I, uh, so they'll still be talking about the standard Amazon English international super stuff. But So it'll actually be kind of three tracks, but uh, we're going to have two rooms. And I think the headline speakers will still be about the international uh, e-commerce. Um, and then we're going to have the rooms about selling into South America and the rooms about selling into China. But that's what we're talking it's going to be a really uh, amazing. Um, and people want an excuse to go to Colombia. Like, you know, you've said it. A lot of people say, oh, I want to go to Colombia, but looking for a reason to go. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's, plus, it's closer to the U.S. Even a lot of our listeners uh, come. A lot of them can't come out for whatever reason to Asia. It's a big it's a big move from the U.S. And uh, Colombia is not too far from America. And I like exotic. I, I don't know. I could could do it in the U.S., but I think uh, it's pretty exotic, you know, to do it in Colombia. Yeah, it's true. I always, I always like half half my travel is just I've just I've, I want to go somewhere, so I work out a justification, business reason to go. You know, I sort of manufacture some reason I've got to go to this place, it's, but I really just want to visit it. You know. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I have a call with our partner. So I'm, I'm partnering with Esteban on this. He actually was so surprised we made this our main event. But again, back to my credit, my wife, she says, Mike, I don't think it's a good idea. We have cross-border summit multiple times in the same year, even globally. So he didn't expect us to have this as our main event. He just, he thought we we're going to kind of franchise it or have a different option or different location. But again, we don't want to dilute the brand or sure. to dilute the you know, even if it's around the world, the last three years have always been in China, almost actually the same venue even. Um, this is going to be the first year outside of China. And the idea so is... So this is going to be... You're going to not do the China one this year, just do the Colombia one instead? Uh, again, I'm pretty open here. I haven't... <laughs> uh, we just finished our matchmaker in October this year. Sure. And we, of course, people really want it. So we might do matchmakers, but we won't do. We we don't want to use the brand summit in 2019 in China or anywhere else. So the idea of a summit is going to be multi-day, pretty headline speakers in our in our industry. Uh, we're actually going to do awards. We're going to do our first global premiere award ceremony there. We have one of the speakers helping us organize the award ceremony in the industry. So. We won't do one in China in 2019 called Cross Border Summit. We're gonna 
thinking about the frequency of cross-border matchmaker, but those will be more one day, maybe a couple speakers, but it'll be more about connecting and it won't, but the summit will only be once a year. Okay. And, uh, we're going to bring it back to the East, but we probably won't go back in China 2020. We're thinking Southeast Asia in 2020. Yeah, but the that, idea that, is that's a good place to finish because you you recently moved to Thailand. Uh, so uh, yeah, curious about what why what why that happened. Like, why did you decide to to leave China and move to Thailand? So it's even connected to the event. So I think the conversation came up with my wife uh, in about April or May of this year uh, after the summit. You know, and we realized a lot of people came to our events, and especially we were announced Colombia for 2019. And my wife's like, Mike, it's getting so expensive in China. The school is so expensive. It's not. We're not really satisfied with the education, even for oh, the yeah, cost. Because we should add in the meantime, you had two children, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I have two kids. Yeah. They've they've been a little bit on our show today, your show yeah. today. But uh, um, you know, it's getting really. There, my son is four, and my son girl is two and a half. So she she didn't go to school yet, but she's coming up to school. And they didn't speak any English. They had one English class a day, and it wasn't really good. And the cost of rent's going up, and the food's going up. It's just hyperinflation in China. And yeah. we realized our community is is kind of global, and it's not really about China anymore, especially if we're going to do Colombia. So we didn't know Thailand right away, but what we did is we planned a trip in Ju- July where we sent the kids to grand- my wife's parents' grandparents' house for a month, and we went to check out different places, um, Thailand. We did consider Vietnam, but we also consider Malaysia, Nepal, and uh, Philippines. Yep. Um, and we picked Thailand. To basically, there's a long and short story, but the schools are just seem like amazing. Like the, I just got the an amazing international schools. You're talking about yeah, the international yeah. schools in Chiang yeah. Mai for the cost. It's the cost and the value is unbelievable. Like it's my true. kids are speaking amazing English right now. You know, I was like, you can speak English. You're American. I'm like, I can't teach my kids English. You know, I'm busy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, of course, I, I read books in, but I'm not going to be able to teach them English. So there's some you know, in a in an English environment, and they have Chinese. There's so many Chinese here. They're still going to have Chinese class. They're going to have Thai yeah, class. Yeah, even like we we run an event at the Thai Chinese International School in Bangkok, which is you know partly Chinese uh, Mandarin, I guess, and partly English. Yeah, so my wife feels comfortable. There's so much. There's a huge Chinese community here. It's it's only a couple hours from China. We came back for the event we did in October just recently, so we could still come into China for events. We're trying to be more online based, anyways. And if if we do an event in China, we could just come in, and we're trying to. We're, that's a whole conversation, but we're trying yeah, to yeah. kind of have event partners. We're trying to be more like the online brand, and you know, Columbia. I'm helping them, but we're I mentioned partner. We're, we we're cutting him into the, you know, he's in the financials of the events. He's 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 financially uh, connected to it. So we're sure. trying to kind of have uh, event partners, uh, and we we can focus on the online part of the event promotions and the branding of sure. the of, of the community. Great. Well, look, Mike, great to talk to you. That was really interesting. I've definitely learned a lot about how, how it all works uh, in terms of sourcing from China and running events there. So great to talk and thanks very much. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 